Thanks for joining me on this week's MicroConf Refresh episode of the MicroConf Podcast. Today we're doing a variation of the MicroConf Refresh format. So instead of looking back over the last 10 years of talks, we're just going to look back a couple of months to MicroConf Remote and run through several of the keynote talks from remote. In case you missed them, we held a remote event, a virtual event on September 1st of 2020, just a couple months ago. And we had a five-hour live stream with four or five keynotes and a bunch of interstitials and, and all kinds of tasty goodness. Today's talk is from Corinne Pope. It's called How I Inadvertently Launched Speckled. Corinne is the founder of Speckled and has been following the stair-step approach to bootstrapping to move from an employee to an info product maker to now a self-taught technical founder of Speckled. And her approach to building the company leaned so far into the concept of just ship it that she launched her MVP before she had even realized it was on the market. And with that, let's dive into the full story of her launch. This is How I Inadvertently Launched Speckled by Corinne Pope. Uh, it's time to start the founder journey of getting to your first so Corinne Pope is a longtime MicroConf attendee. I've had many conversations with her, and I'm stoked that she's here to share the stage with me today. She's the founder of Speckled, a tool that helps product managers build the right thing at the right time. After stair-stepping her way from a corporate gig to an info product business and then to a product apprenticeship, she recently made the leap into building SaaS products. And in the quest for product market fit, she enjoys talking to customers, designing and developing new features, and of course, fussing over conversion rates, as we all do. Hailing from Austin, Texas, she fuels her enjoyment of running stupid long distances, her words, not mine, with Tex-Mex and Topo Chicos. So Corinne Pope, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me on MicroConf. Thanks, Rob. All right. Good morning, everyone. I'm really excited to be here and talk to you about the story of how I inadvertently launched Speckled. Now, from my story, I hope that you can learn from some of my mistakes and take away some new tactics to apply to your own ideas. I'll start with the origin of the idea and how it got off to an admittedly slow start, talk about the groundwork that was laid way before this ever became a thing, and finally move into how I managed to build up the momentum that I needed to launch my product. So let's get into it. How many of you have had this happen to you? You get an idea, you're super excited about it, so you run to your journal or your note-taking app, you write it down. The more you start thinking about it, the more convinced you are that this is the one, like this is the idea that you need to work on right now. So you spend probably a little bit too much time picking out just the perfect domain, and then you dig into the fun parts. Now this happens to me <laughs> a bit more frequently than I'd like to admit, but you know, the beginnings part is just so much fun. However, fast forward a couple of months, sometimes even a few weeks, <laughs> and something happens. Somehow you've lost a bit of momentum and your great idea has migrated over to your project graveyard. Now, my project graveyard is a pretty expansive place. The amount of money I spend on domain renewal fees is straight up embarrassing. <laughs> But you know, this isn't a place where we really want our projects to land. We want to launch them, put them out into the world, get people on board, and make a tool that provides value to the people that we serve, right? Now, quite honestly, this whole cycle is how Speckled 
got started off. It was a Sunday in June, in the middle of a hot Texas summer. I was sitting outside, writing in my journal, brainstorming some ideas. I had a job at the time, and we were getting all of this work piled onto our plate, but no new resources to handle it. So we had to prioritize pretty ruthlessly. So I was like, okay, I have this issue, and I get the feeling that other people may too. So I'm going to register a domain and get to work. So I designed the website, write the copy, start drawing up some user flows and wireframes. But then life gets in the way. Now, as I mentioned, I was working a job. My team members were everywhere from Eastern Europe to the US to the Philippines. And it, it felt like I was in meetings from sunup to sundown on some days. And to be honest, at this point, my job was the top priority. And you know, the time needed to get this idea really, really kicked off just wasn't quite there. But still, you know, this idea kept bugging me. It, Elizabeth Gilbert has this concept in her book, Big Magic, that ideas are going to constantly come visit you. They're going to wake you up in the middle of the night, distract you, and not leave you alone until they have your fullest attention. And then in a quiet moment, they're going to ask, do you want to work with me? And at this point, you can say, no, you know, that's okay. Maybe you're not the right idea for me. You know, why don't you go and meander over to my project graveyard? Or you can say yes. And so this idea had been really bugging me. And for so long, I wanted to work on it. So I said yes. At the end of 2019, I had made the decision to leave my job. Quite honestly, I was a bit burnt out at the time. I needed some time to recover and get all those creative juices back. So I took some time to relax, hang out with my family over the holidays, follow some curiosities, and then once I was ready, start working on this idea. And about seven, later, seven months later, I inadvertently launched my product. And today I wanna to talk to you about the time between committing to the idea and actually launching. What was the difference between this project that landed up launching and all the other ones that had landed in my side project graveyard? Now, in prep for this talk, I did a lot of looking back to try to figure out what it was that made this one different. And I realized it came back to this concept of momentum. Now, previously, I do the whole get super excited about something, lose momentum kind of thing. But this idea, it managed to achieve a sort of escape velocity and avoid the graveyard. And there were two things I realized that helped me achieve this escape velocity. And that was to have a strong base from which to launch. And the other one was the tactics that I implemented to get enough momentum to get this thing out into the world. So let's first talk about building your base. Now, to get this started, you're going to need a strong launch pad that you can push off of. And the great thing about this part is it's something that you can work on way before you ever start building a single thing. And for me, the first part of this base is made out of confidence and skills. And, and this component took a good 10 years for me to build. And, you know, I'll just put it out there. I'm not the most confident person in the world. You know, many days on this journey, I've woken up and been like, 
oh my God, like, what did I get myself into? Can I really do this? And, you know, other days it's like, okay, this is great. I can't believe I get to do this on a day-to-day basis. This is awesome. (laughs) So, you know, while I'm not 100% confident, I am about 80% of the way there. And I realized before starting that this, that if, if, if I could get to 80% confident and build the skills that I knew that I would need, I could manage to pick up the rest along the way. So I started working on more and more ambitious projects. Now, Rob calls this the stair-step approach, and it's an approach that took that I took that worked for me. All right. So I started off in a corporate gig. I was doing project management for government IT infrastructure projects. And let me tell you, it was a complete snooze fest. I could only push papers around and follow arbitrary processes for so long before I began to ask, is this really something I want to do the rest of my life? So a couple of years into this role, I decided to start a little info products business on this side. There, I learned the basics of running a little internet business, how to build and distribute a product, and how to make a little bit of money on the web. However, I also learned that you should pick a niche you like, and you should pick a market that is going to be able to support you financially. Now, I did neither. I picked a niche that could not support me, and I quickly began bumping up against the wall. Now, the goal was always to build a product, but I didn't feel like I was quite there yet. I was missing some skills, and I realized that. So I swallowed my pride, and I went and I got a job working for someone else. (laughs) Now, I was managing someone else's product, but I was working on developing my product sense, learning how to manage a development team, do onboarding calls, conduct customer interviews, and all other things that come along with running a SaaS product. And... After a few years, I was a bit tired. This darn idea was still knocking down my door. I was ready for a change. My confidence was almost there, and I had developed the skills that I need to get started. But confidence and skills aren't the only thing that you need to construct your launch pad. You need a community. Now, I'd always thought of myself as a bit of a lone wolf, like, I don't need anyone. I could do this on my own. It's going to be fine. (laughs) But over time, I started working on finding a community. And now that I have one, I realize just how critical it has been along the way. And there are some really great communities out there. MicroConf Connect is a great example. There's also Indie Hackers, MakerPad, Women Make, I'm in the Go Rails community, and I love that. So go find a community. Contribute and give more than you take. Really dig in and find your tribe. Next up, join a mastermind. They're gonna give you the accountability that you need to push through from week to week. And they're gonna be the sounding board that you need on this often lonely path. My mastermind group members are on the call supporting me right now, so hey guys. (laughs) Also, consider getting a mentor. Now, if you're gonna go straight up ask someone that has never heard from you, will you be my mentor? You're probably not gonna have a good time. You know, the people you want to be your mentor are often really busy, in-demand people. So that being said, if you get stuck on something and you want them to weigh in, maybe type it up in an email, add a little context, shoot it over to them. And if they respond, then that's great. You know, you take their advice and you work on 
closing that feedback loop, let them know how their, you know, their advice went and, you know, start building that relationship. And if they don't respond, no worries. Okay. Um, and then finally, this is, this kind of, this kind of thing is something that I wish I had known before I had gotten started. So I just wanted to make sure to include it. <laughs> Realize that not everyone is going to understand this path. You know, it's not a role at some famous corporation complete with a matching 401k plan and three weeks vacation. It's a little different. <laughs> Some family and friends may not get it at first. And heck, even my parents have no idea what it is that I do on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, when Xander called me about speaking to all of you, I was so excited. One of the first things I did when I got off the phone was to call my parents and let, let them know. So, you know, they said, hey, hey, mom and dad, like, I'm going to be speaking at, speaking at MicroConf Remote. And they're like, oh, oh, that's nice, Corinne. Congratulations you know, that'll be a great thing for you to put on your resume for when it's time to get a real job. It's like, ouch. <laughs> but, you know, I think they'll get it maybe eventually, at least I'm secretly hoping that they do. But the funny thing that I realized from this is that you don't need permission to go get started on the path. Like you, you can just go get start, get, go get started. So go start, build your confidence, build your skills, and then get ready for the next phase. Get something out there and start building your momentum. All right, so let's start with the most logical place to start. The idea. Now, people say there's no such thing as a bad idea, but I would say that a really good idea can help you get a lot more momentum than, say, just an okay idea. Now, even though I had this idea for Speckled, I still spent some time making sure it was a good one and making sure it was a valid problem. So I went and I made sure people were talking about this problem online, that people were complaining about it in forums and websites and, you know, all those places online. So, you know, that, that was there. I made sure people understood this category and were buying things like it. I was not quite ready to start a, a whole product in a category that no one understood. So I wanted to make sure that this was a category that existed. And uh, I wanted to make sure that I enjoy being around the kind of people who have this problem. Now, I'm a product manager. I love product people. So I was like, okay, I think I'm good with that one. I can hold my own. And this was kind of the basic criteria that I made sure to suss out and make sure that this was a decent idea. Now, there may be more questions out there you want to consider, but these were the ones that worked for me. Okay, so you want to start off with a decent idea, and then it's time to do some dun, 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 marketing. <laughs> yep, if that, makes you, if that makes you squirm, then I am right there with you. Now, I feel like this is an obligatory microconf slide. I feel like it's advice that is commonly dished out and it's commonly ignored. And I think I know why. It's just that building is just so much fun. <laughs> like who doesn't love going into this flow state and doing all the stuff that they love to do? And talking about yourself and hyping up your product is super, super uncomfortable. Most introverts like us don't really like to toot our own horn. It's awkward. And quite honestly, it sucks. But you know what sucks more? <laughs> Going into a flow state for a couple of months, 
surfacing for air with something that's ready for the market, and realizing you haven't told anyone about it yet. So we're going to try to avoid that. And this is the technique I use to avoid that. And it's um, by building a reverse press release. This is kind of something that Amazon does for their new products. So before anything is ever built, you write a press release, hyping up your new product, talking about its features, the value that users are going to get from it, and heck, maybe even throw some fake customer testimonials in there for good measure. Now, once you've shaped up a product that you'd be happy to see hit the market, then it's time to take some of that language, add it to a landing page, and make sure you add an email capture. <laughs> now, spend a little time promoting that around a bit, and you'll start seeing new emails trickle onto your list. Now then, and only then, do you actually go and build the darn thing. Now, as you may have picked up, I am not an engineer by training. I only started teaching myself how to code last year, end of last year, really, and still have a bit of a way to go. Still, though, I was very optimistic on how much I could get done and how quickly I could do it. You know, I remember writing in my journal in January, be like, ah, oh, I could totally launch this by March. In March, I wrote, oh, yeah, it'll be done by April, maybe. In April, it was like, okay, I think I could get it down, down, by, uh, down by May. And, you know, <laughs> things just kept getting, getting pushed back. And it was late February. I was on a call with one of my code mentors, and I was walking him through this problem that I was having. And he basically told me that I was making this entirely too complicated for myself. I had all of these tables in my application and a very academic understanding of what a database should look like. So already a couple months in, I was tearing everything apart, starting all over again. And it was a bummer, but from this, I learned to keep it simple. Instead of adding features, cut them. Now this is what my initial mock-up for my product looked like. Okay, nothing too crazy. But here is what I actually launched with. Just this part in this pink box, just this little prioritization feature. And had I tried to get everything on here done, I probably would have lost any momentum and sent this project to join the many others in my project graveyard. Now, it did feel super underwhelming to launch with this, I'm not gonna lie. But the thing is, I got it out there. And even getting this out there was a bit of a struggle, to be honest. That last 10% of the work was taking the same amount of time as the first 90%. It was like, WTF. I kept hearing myself say, oh, I'll just build this one more thing, this one more feature. I just need to make this one more bug fix. I just need to fix up the UI UX. It needs a little bit of tweaking. It's not quite there yet. Still need to add notifications, so on and so forth. Now, fortunately, I realized that I was killing my mo own momentum. So one day after fixing some issues, uh, I, I realized it was, it was good. It was good enough. You know, it wasn't perfect, but it wasn't, you know, absolutely terrible. So one morning, I pushed everything to production. I let that marketing list that I had so conveniently built up a few months ago, know that, you know, hey, it's live, it's ready to try out. 
And I watched as some users rolled into my production database. You know, there was no splashy product hunt launch. There was no launch party. Heck, I don't think I even popped open a bottle of wine or cracked open a beer. But you know, what I did have was a product that was in motion. It was out in the world. It's picking up momentum. Users are starting to use it. And now I'm trying to figure out how to build and maintain my momentum. And to be honest, this is a work in progress. From what I've learned so far, you know, feedback has been critical in this part. And learning how to take it, how to take it not personally has been a challenge and it's been a really good learning lesson. Now, I'm definitely not good at it by any means. I remember I got my first piece of negative feedback. I was out camping. I checked my phone because I'm apparently the kind of person who brings their phone camping. I know, shame on me. And I saw this piece of negative feedback come in and I was like, oh man, like this sucks. <laughs> so I sit there wallowing my self-pity for about 15, 20 minutes, staring to the campfire and realize that, you know, this feedback is a gift and you can use the feedback that you get after you launch to work on iterating your product and, and building a better product. So you could do a lot of positive with the feedback that you get. And also combined with using your own product, you'll quickly figure out what it is that you need to work on improving. So in review, we talked about building your base and how building a community, your confidence and your skills is going to set you up on the path for success down the road. How a good idea is going to help carry your momentum a bit more than, say, an okay idea. And of course, then you could go, you know, buy the domain and start thinking about some of the fun parts. But before you do that, spend a couple of days setting up a very basic marketing system so that when you do come up from air for air after building this, you know, you're not starting from a dead stop. You do have some momentum and some, some place to go from here. And to be honest, I'm not sure what happens after this part. I'm really looking forward to hearing some of the other speakers uh, that are going to be coming later today to see maybe what's in store for me down the road. But in the meantime, I hope you learned a bit from the story about how I launched Speckled and how it got started off pretty slow, how I managed to build up some momentum with a decent idea, a very simple marketing system, and a pared down product, and how I inadvertently launched to make sure that I could keep my momentum going. Now, if you're thinking about taking this path and launching your own product, hopefully with a bit of a more deliberate launch than I did, I'd highly recommend it. It is incredibly rewarding, and I think you're going to enjoy the ride. You got it. Well, Corinne, again, uh, audience questions are going to start coming in. I'm going to kick us off with a couple questions um, that I had for you. Great talk. I really uh, enjoyed it and loved hearing your story. Um, I think the, the first thing... I wanted to ask is about the stair-step approach that you mentioned. Um, what I've noticed is I personally traveled the stair-step uh, approach, but I didn't realize I was doing it as I was doing it. That wasn't my goal from the start necessarily. I was just so risk-averse. I didn't want to build the big SaaS app, quit the day job. I had a, you know, a wife and a kid and a mortgage and all that. I'm curious with you, did you from the start think, I'm going to build the small one and then a next and next and next level up? Or was it more of an inadvertent walk down that path? It was probably a combo of the two. I think that I probably got to the info products business and I was like, okay, like this is cool. Like this is a path that I, I could take in the future. 
but I'm not sh- I, I would like to do a product in the future and I'm not quite there. So I think I'm going to need to take a couple of stair steps. So I kind of got there halfway there organically. And then the rest of it was a little bit more planned. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a pretty common story, actually. I think some people start doing it because they want to keep the day job or they don't want to leap from one island to the next. They want to have, you know, a foot on both of them. And then once they hear about it, it's like a theory that matches up with what they wanted to do anyways, you know, and it kind of gives them permission to do it, I think. Another thing I wanted to touch on is um, about, you talked about asking for permission, um, which is something I've harped on quite a bit because I've, I've spoken at events where it's just tech founders, but I've spoken at events where there were like filmmakers and, and writers. And I've noticed that there's a very similar, um, I don't know, mentality that a lot of us are scared to ship. And, and with writers, I say, or authors, you know, I say, don't ask for permission from a publisher or agent, go write. Like you look at Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, he started writing and publishing it on his blog, and it was really good, and people started liking it, and then he eventually published it into a book. He just wrote. Um, filmmakers, you can say, I need money from a studio. You can say, I need permission to get distribution. Or you can do what Kevin Smith or Robert Rodriguez did, and you can go out and just shoot a film for 20 grand, you know, and it's not going to be the best film ever, but it's at least something that you're making and putting into the world. And the same thing with startup founders. I feel like a lot of founders are waiting for permission. I mean, in the Silicon Valley narrative, it's waiting for permission from people to write you a big check to do it. Like, I can't do it without 10 million bucks. And it's like, no, you can. A bunch of people have already done that. Um, But in your case, uh, you know, you really talked about almost asking for permission from, uh, I don't know, it was like from, it wasn't, you weren't waiting for funding, but you were like waiting for, uh, was it permission from yourself? Or, Or talk about that a little more about what your particular, you know, predicament was there. Yeah, I mean, I definitely always had a little bit of imposter syndrome and I was like, okay, well, maybe if someone else tells me that I can go and do this, then I can go and do this. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, I, I, I just like having this, knowing that I have the support of people, but eventually it got to the point where, you know, eventually you just don't care care as much and you're just like, I'm just going to do it, screw it. So, um, yeah, so I just... Uh, I just want, I just learned to get over that, uh, that feeling of, um, needing permission to go do it and just do it. And it, it definitely was a little bit of a learned skill. Like, and I remember the first time I told my parents I was even starting like an info products business and they're mm-hmm. like, why don't you just stay with your job and, you know, have Good that job. 401k plan and the benefits yeah. and everything that comes along with it. But you know, that's not what I wanted to do. Right. And that's the part you touched on where family and friends aren't going to understand. I, I ran through the same thing. Um, no one in my family was, or friends were entrepreneurs. And so I got questioned a lot as well as even like, yeah, it, it's always going to be a struggle. Um, I have some questions coming in for you. First question says, I love the press release idea. How do you push it? Meaning how do you promote it? Organic SEO ads? How do you build buzz? How did you build buzz around it? And that's from deep. Okay. Um, yeah, actually in terms of the press release, that wasn't something that I, actually released into the world. It was more of a thought exercise on how I wanted to shape this product up and get it to the point where it was something that was exciting to people. Uh, so it was um, a good way to me- for me to try to figure out some of the messaging that I could then put in my landing page. So I didn't necessarily publish this or promote this anywhere. It was just a document that lived in, you know, in my notion and you know, I just would eventually and sometimes go back to it just to make sure that I was on the right path and building the thing that was exciting to build as I was building it. Yep. Yeah, it's something I've actually done myself um, to write 
to write the, I didn't used to call it a press release, I would call it the landing page. I, so I would start with the landing page before I would build a product or write the book or mm-hmm. launch. Like before we launched the very first MicroConf, Mike Tabor and I sat down and built a landing page with all the marketing copy and some headshots of people we thought we wanted to be in. And we didn't, we didn't release that before we invited the people, but then that was really the launch, you know, before we booked a hotel, that's how, that's how we did it. So I like that uh, piece of advice. Um, for our next question, we actually have a brave soul who is going to come on and ask it via video. So producer Xander will bring them on. Hello. My question is, uh, you had people sign up on your landing page because they were curious about the product. How much did you interact or did you interact with those people at all during your building process? I, I did email them a couple points throughout the process. Um, and another thing that was also helpful was after I sent them to that email capture, I also sent them to a thank you page that had, you know, what brought you here to, you know, why were you interested in this product today? And that helped me get a lot of good information. But yeah, I would email people occasionally on the list, but I probably should have done it more than I did, to be honest. <laughs> but, you know... Hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah, your your first one's always hard. I'll tell you what I so just a quick piece on that. Um, when we launched Drip, which was twenty thirteen now, wow, so long ago. Um, we we started building up a pretty good list, and I had learned enough by then that I knew that we I should be in contact every few months. So I was sending some screenshot updates, but more importantly, I started sending light surveys and saying, "Hey, what's your role?" What are you looking for from Drip? What do you hope it does? You know, all these questions. And then I was able to segment that audience. Um, and then I had some one-on-one conversations. I, most via email, actually. I didn't do a lot of, of kind of Zoom stuff. Um, but that did help us shape the direction of the product from the start. And so that's a pretty loose framework. I think I went pretty in-depth on Startups for the Rest of Us, which is my podcast I haven't mentioned yet today. But um, there's an episode there where I talk about doing a survey of a pre-launch list. And that really walks through the questions I asked and kind of the um, help it gave me. But it just goes to show you, Corinne didn't do that and still had a, you know, it had a decent launch. So it's like, you don't have to do these things. They just add, they add a little bit. They maybe help you a little bit more with vision or they help you land a few more folks. All right, another question. All right, there's another one uh, where someone's coming on camera. Producer Xander, please roll it. Hey, Corinne, thanks so much for your talk. Really appreciated it. Um, so I, have, I also uh, come from a non-technical background. I'm in sales and business development. Uh, where did you learn coding and which uh, programming language did you start with? Cool. Yeah. So I, in the beginning, I just took a whole bunch of tutorials um, and did all the basic tutorials for a whole bunch of languages. I ended up going through the Ruby on Rails tutorial, and that was the one that made the most sense to me. So that's what I started off with. So started off with going through the tutorials, um, finding some things online. And then I eventually joined the GoRails community and they have a really great uh, bunch of videos to learn there. So if you're interested in Rails as the language, um, I would definitely recommend them. And uh, yeah, Ruby and Rails just made the most sense to me. So <laughs> that's what I landed up going with. Wasn't super anything super exciting. Wasn't this cool new JavaScript framework du jour. It was just, just Rails. I still say that those old proven tools are like the way to go. Um, if I were to build an app today, I would, I would go with something very proven. And also, well, I don't know. I'm just, uh, at this There's point, I'm the old to be guy. Said about- 
using boring technology. I know, I know, There's so much of an ecosystem. So we have quite a few questions and maybe let's try to lightning round them. I believe we have six minutes left and we have 12 questions. So let, let's see how many we get through. Um, the audience was obviously you know, engaged and, and interested in what you're saying. First question, when your first users started trickling in, do you know where they came from? Was it from your email list, social, or something else? Yeah, it was pretty much all from my email list. Uh, I hadn't done too much social promotion, but yeah, it was, it was my email list. That was, that was the main source. Email list for the win. Yep. I'm a, such a big proponent. I'm glad you touched on that. All right, a question from Arthur Klep, Klepchukov. He says, how else do you keep your scope focused and constrained for your first launch? I don't always know when I'm in a rabbit hole. Thanks, Arthur. Yeah, that's that's a tough question. Um, you know, I do try to keep a, a, my list of all the things that I'm working on. I use my own tool for that. I keep everything prioritized. And, I, you know, it's just if I landed up taking way more time than I thought it was going to take, I kind of have to step back and be like, okay, why is this taking so long? Uh, if I get really stuck, I'll... Um, I'll call up like a, a code mentor and be like, hey, can you help me through this problem? And that'll help me get through it. But yeah, it, you know, it sounds silly, but meditating every morning and having kind of like a, a high level overview of what's going on at the moment and making sure every week um, writing down, you know, what went poorly last week, what was going to happen this week and, you know, what can I learn from last week and apply to this week. So, you know, making sure that sometimes, you know, you get into the rabbit hole and you're like doing your work. Sometimes you just need to remember to zoom out a little bit and, you know, take a high level overview of what the work that you're doing is. Yeah, I think that's a really nice way to sanity check it. Um, two other things that I've done, because this is a really hard question. It's, it's, there's no one size fits all, but one thing is when I had a co-founder that was super helpful. Um, and when I didn't, it was my mastermind group. So there were two, other three, two or three other folks that I would get together with every couple of weeks. And typically I would say, man, I'm really struggling with something. And I would email one of them and just set up an impromptu, like I need to bounce this off the wall. You know, I need to bounce this off someone else for a sanity check. All right. We have a text question from Janet A. Carr. She says, Corinne, could you go into a bit of detail on how and where you distributed your press release and landing page? So again, you didn't distribute the press release, but how did you promote the landing page? I think is, is probably the best way to ask that. So since I was part of the audience that I was selling to, I knew where they were hanging out. There were a bunch of Slack groups online where people were hanging out. So I started getting involved there. And occasionally, you know, if they had a self-promotion channel, I would post it there. Um, there's a whole bunch of Facebook groups. You know, you just need to find the watering holes that your audience is at and go and participate in them. And, uh, and you'll start to, you know get some involvement from that audience and, you know, it, it can just pick up from there. So that's, that's what I did personally. Awesome. From David McNeil, how important was it for this project that you were doing it full-time, whereas with previous projects, you were also juggling a full-time job? Well, to be honest, doing it full-time has definitely helped. <laughs> it definitely gives me a lot more focus and, you know, instead of, you know, approaching it at two hour chunks, I can sit down for a good amount of time and really, really get some of the harder parts and get into that flow state. So I think that having it, doing it full time was definitely beneficial. However, you know, 
there's something to be said about building something on the side and, you know, spending a little bit of time chipping away at it here and there. I don't, I don't think there's a right answer for, you know, it really depends on what your personality is and what your priorities and what's going on in your life at the moment. Yep. I would agree. All right. Our next question is coming to you live from Zachary Kesson. Welcome, Zachary. Producer Xander's going to wire him up. Here we go. Uh-oh. No audio. No audio, yeah. And yeah, we don't have audio on Zach. If we have the text, in, ugh, the question via text, I could read it. Or as Producer Xander, you can send me the next one. All right. What is a good way to get people into a mailing list if you have no traffic? Ooh. I think you kind of have to produce some traffic, don't you? Yeah, I think you do have to produce some kind of traffic. So like I mentioned before, getting involved in the places where my community, where the audience was hanging out was a good source of traffic for me. It was probably the best source of traffic that I had. Um, so go and get involved in your your audiences, communities, and, you know, you know, give more than you take in those communities, you, you know, answer questions. You don't have to be the one always promoting what it is that you're working on. Make sure that you're providing value to the people there. And, you know, then maybe organically they'll check out your little, you know, profile link and be like, okay, what is this person looking at? So, yeah. All right. 26 seconds left, Corinne. Last question from Georgi Nikolev. He says, did you find your product market fit first or did you have the audience first and you built a product they needed? I think I went with the audience first approach. Like I, I knew that I really wanted to serve project product managers. I knew that our lives were pretty chaotic at times and that they could use all the help that, that we could get. So I I definitely concentrated on product managers first, figured out what problems that they were having that I was also having and, you know, went from there. So I definitely went audience first for my project. Hope you enjoyed that first talk from MicroConf Remote. Tune in on Thursday for another MicroConf on air. We are going to be live streaming Wednesday and then putting on this feed on Thursday. And tune in next Tuesday for another keynote talk from MicroConf Remote 2020.